0: Welcome to the London First Baptist Church Podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of September 20th from Pastor Brett Cottrell. We are in chapter 3 of the Book of Acts. And as we really come to these three, or to come to this chapter, um, as we get to this first account of things going on in this chapter, we really are tying it to, it really is tied to the events that end in chapter 2. And we're going to see that in some ways, even though the event that we're going to center it on this morning is, is a miraculous, wonder-inspiring, make-your-jaw-drop type of an idea, that the things that lead into it are really what many of us might call just normal, <laughs> just routine. I mean, if you were to think about the normal routine of your week or of a day, you probably get up, uh, you get something to eat. How many of you eating is part of your daily routine? Hey, amen. All right, there you go. Hopefully praying is part of your daily routine. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. It's not okay, but, you know, hopefully praying and scripture reading are part of your daily routine. There's probably work that's involved in your daily routine. All these things are part of our daily routine, and we probably don't think too much of these things. They're just what you do each and every day. And as we come to chapter 3 of Acts, It's in that context that things are kind of happening. In fact, let me go back and read for you the last few verses of Acts chapter 2. Verse 46, it says, Day by day, daily, this is their routine. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. So here's their routine. They worshipped every day. Every day they ate. They hung out with their friends. They shared their lives together. They um, were glad to do those things. They praised God. They had favor with the people. In other words, they were living in such a way that people looked at them and went, well, those are some pretty good folks over there. Now, not that they were moral, but just... Man, those, those folks love the Lord. They love each other. People saw that. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day. That was their daily routine. Now, some of that may seem pretty remarkable. Some of that may seem somewhat routine. <clears throat> but that was the daily routine. And we talked about it last couple of weeks. We talked about part of what they were doing was they were having the Lord's Supper. But they were also, <clears throat> we see there, Uh, eating eating in each other's houses. Uh, They were sharing meals together. They were hanging out together. They were just being with the people that they loved, not just their blood families, but their spiritual family. That was part of their daily routine, to to hang out with one another. I want to show this point as we get to chapter 3, a couple of ideas about the routines that we can keep that will result, I believe, in miraculous works of God. Chapter 3, verse 1. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. A man who had been laid from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began, to ask, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. He began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, "I do not possess silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk." And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. They were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms, And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, our attention obviously is drawn this morning to the miracle of this man who was born lame walking. And that would be a natural thing for us. And we are going to speak to that. But I want you to, in the middle of the story, to the the verses that precede it and the verses in the middle of it, the verses that follow it, I want you to see some things that are actually pretty normal. First of all, Peter and John just like all the others in that day and age, the early church. They had the same habit, that snapshot we saw. They were taking their meals with one another. They were teaching every day. They were going to the temple to pray. It was part of their routine. We saw a couple weeks ago, it said they devoted themselves to the prayers. That's what it's really referring to there those early Christians we know. The early Christians, all there in Jerusalem, are still mostly Jewish. And they were still participating in the worship and the praying at the temple. They were going there every day. The people would see them. There was this group of Jesus followers, and they're going to the temple. And uh, there were three different times of prayer through that day. One in the morning, uh, afternoon, and then the evening. This one they're talking about here that Peter and John are referring to is about three in the afternoon. This was part of their routine to stop and pray. It was part of the routine to go and eat with one another. They were just going to church. They were just praying. They were just doing their thing. It's all normal. Nothing seems on the face of it <clears throat> extraordinarily. Extraordinary. By the way, if we were to read when we read through the book of Acts over the next few months and maybe even a year or two that we're in it, what we're going to see is that Luke will give us a lot of what might seem to be mundane, routine information. They went to somebody's house to eat. They went to somebody's house to pray. They went to the temple to pray. They were just going, they were walking down the road. Anything, anything about any of those things sounds remarkable? Just stuff people do, right? And yet, we'll see that in the middle of these routines, miraculous things happen. I want to mention in particular this idea, I've already said something here, this idea of meeting in people's homes and talking to one another and sharing meals with one another. It's called hospitality. Y- y'all, know, y'all know the word hospitality, right? Now we do stuff like that, don't we? We cook cinnamon rolls for people. Everybody knows Miss everybody knows Donnie's cinnamon rolls, right? <laughs> we cook meals for one another. We hang out. We haven't done a potluck in a while. You're looking forward to that first potluck. Whenever it is, we get a chance to, to do that. <clears throat> we like taking meals together. Hospitality simply means this idea of, of sharing. We might think of food, but it's sharing our lives with other people. It's, it's coming to my house. Let's go get something to eat. Let's go take a walk. Let's go out in the backyard and have a barbecue. It's, it's fixing meal for someone who's ill. It's just. Routine, everyday life shared with other people. Some of you may have heard of a lady by the name of Rosaria Butterfield. She's become somewhat well-known the last five or ten years. Rosaria Butterfield was a professor at Syracuse University in the 90s. She was a leader in the LGBTQ community. She was living that active lifestyle, and she was actually a thought leader in that community at that, at that point in time. She was going to write an article for a national magazine, and essentially the thrust of her article, as she, as she describes it, was going to be, why do Christians hate people like us? That was, that, that, that's just I'm just using her words. So she thought, in the interest of research, that she would actually begin to read the Bible. And that she thought, well... Something else I might need to do is I might try to talk to some of them. So she found in that community a pastor and his wife. She called them up. She asked to to talk with them, and they invited her over for dinner. And over the next several years, as she describes it, they had her over for for dinner in their home hundreds of times. In fact, she found herself being invited to share life with the members of that church over and over and over again. She was expecting to find a people who hated her, and she found a people who shared their life with her. doesn't mean they okayed her choices, but they loved her. Long story short, several years later, she came to know the Lord. By the way, she's now a pastor's wife. The Lord saved her. And saved her through the process of eating meals together. And just sharing a life. Nothing spectacular, nothing on the face of it remarkable, just each and every day normal stuff. Peter and James are, or uh, Peter and John are doing normal stuff. And sometimes it's in the normal stuff we see, the things that sometimes seem trivial, the things that we don't pay attention to, that's where we find the miraculous. Peter and John are simply walking to the temple, which they do two or three times a day, every day, to pray. And on their way, they see a sight they see every day. They see a sight that everybody in Jerusalem sees every day. A lame man begging for some money. This was nothing remarkable. In fact, it says here in chapter 3, he'd been doing it for years. This was the normal thing. This guy sat out in front. He was carried to this place. In fact, it's possible, understand this. This event takes place probably no more than a few months after Christ has been crucified. It's very possible this same lame man was sitting at the foot of this gate when Christ came in. Some months before. This guy, it was part of, everyone knew who this guy was. He was part of their routine. (laughs) As they walk up, this is a man everybody knew was born lame. He's just, he's on the ground, probably with a little cup or something along those lines, begging for money. People probably just passing him by because it's just the routine, what you do, right? Then the routine gets shaken up a little bit. Peter and John, as they go into the temple, they see him. Now this guy, there's probably all kinds of people just walking back and forth, and he's just looking at, knees and legs and people's arms as they go by. And I doubt Peter and John are kind of standing out in the crowd. He's no more looking at them, than he's looking at the crowd of people in front of him. And he just... And all of a sudden, Peter and John stop, and they say, look at us. Now, I'm sure that grabbed his attention. It says there, verse 5, that he began to give them his attention. And I think it's reasonable to expect that he was thinking they were going to give him a little bit of money. We actually, that's what he's asking for, right? He's asking for money. That would have been the normal routine thing to do here. And instead, Peter says this, I don't have any money. Now, if we, if we were just to pause right there, <laughs> imagine this guy on the ground asking for money, and someone says, look at me, I don't have any money. And what would that guy be going? <sighs> well, then what was the point of that? Why draw my attention to you if you're not going to give me what I ask for? Why tell me to look at you if you aren't going to give me what I need? Because this man, what he believes he needs is a few extra coins to buy some food that day. That's all he's really worried about. That's the extent of his vision, and that's really all he's asking for. and That's what he is expecting. And then Peter and John go, yeah, look at us. We don't have any money. Now, there's a couple different ways to think about that. One is, they're going to shake him out of his, his mindset. But two, he might be going... Peter might have been going, look at us. Do we look like we have any money? (laughs) I might have been part of it too. I mean, after all, Peter is a fisherman from Galilee. We already know Galileans have an accent. We've seen that earlier in chapter 2. They have such an accent that the people in Jerusalem could pick a Galilean out in no time flat. So Peter's a Galilean. He's a fisherman, so he's not exactly high on the economic totem pole. On top of that, he hasn't really been fishing for a while. He's been in Jerusalem for a few months. Peter's going, we don't have any money. I don't know if a lame man's sarcastic, but if he is, he's probably thinking, well, thanks for drawing my attention to you. But then Peter keeps on. We don't have any money, he says, but what we do have, we give to you. Get up and walk. Now, this beautiful gate, by the way, is probably a gate that's the entrance to uh, the what's called the court of the women in the temple. So if you were to imagine the uh, first century temple in, on the mountaintop in Jerusalem, you had a, an outer court that was for anybody, including Gentiles. So you and I get to go in there. But Gentiles were only allowed so far. And then there was a, a gate that was known to be very ornate and beautiful, this is probably what it's referring to, that went from there, the court of the Gentiles, to the court of the women. And that, that's for the Jews. Now the court of the women was a place where only the women could go in, only the Jewish women could go in. So you had the outside court for everyone, you had the next court, which was for the Jewish women, and then the next court in was where the Jewish men get to go. That's where the real stuff happens, so to speak. And then you got... You know, only where the priests get to go. So each, each square is a little more restrictive. So this is probably the gate between the Gentiles and then where the Jews get to go. And if you weren't a Jew, you couldn't go in there. And probably this guy had never been in there either. Because if you might remember, we, uh, we looked at this in the Gospel of Mark when, when uh, Jesus had healed some folks. And we see this in John chapter 9. Jesus healed a, a, a guy there at the Pool of Siloam. Remember Jesus going to this guy and saying, would you like to be healed? Duh. But before that had happened, the disciples asked Jesus, hey, this guy who was born blind, what was the sin that caused that? Because they assumed this guy and his family must have been sinners, must have done something horrible before God to have been born blind. This guy's born lame. So guess what most people are thinking about him as they walk into the temple? Guy must be, that guy or his parents messed up. Somebody messed up. So guess who didn't get to go in? This guy. The routine. Go, he sits outside and begs. He doesn't get to go in. They walk past him, and they say, get up and walk. <clears throat> and then look what happens. Seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. Immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. He stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them. Now, we probably looked past that little phrase just now, or before. But I want you to understand that for the first time probably in this guy's life, he got to go in the temple. For the first time in his life, this guy most likely was given the opportunity to go in with everyone else and to worship. This guy was accepted in his mind for the very first time as he walked in, or as he leaped in, as he ran in, as he jumped in to the worship of God. Something that was routine for everyone else was brand new for this guy as he began to jump in. And we can imagine, we see it, everyone else around them were in awe. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. Now, this is obviously an incredible miracle. It would probably make any of our jaws drop to see something along these lines. But I want you to know the greatest miracle here is not the fact this guy comes to walk. I mean, that's, that's a miracle. I don't want to look past that. But the greatest miracle here is this guy is now a member of the church. This guy gets saved. Now, here's what's going on here. He leaps... He runs, he jumps, he walks. He walks into church, so to speak, walking and leaping and praising God. So imagine coming out here in the parking lot. It's about 5, 10 after 10 on Sunday morning. And you are so excited to be here that between your car and these front doors, you're hopping, skipping, jumping, going, whoop. Where's that amen? <laughs> uh, imagine coming in, and it's like going to a football game. And you hear everyone cheering and yelling and shouting, and they're excited because they're going to go in there and watch Arkansas lose. <laughs> that was mean, wasn't it? <laughs> True, but mean. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry. That was, that, was, that was a cheap shot. Maybe they'll win. Imagine being that excited to be allowed into the worship of God. Something that for Peter and John was routine. Something that for countless thousands was routine. Something that for us is routine. And yet for this guy, what was counted to be routine was now, in fact, miraculous. And he's leaping and he's jumping and he's shouting and he's praising. Now, Maybe to a certain degree we can understand that we're going, well, he he's never walked before. Of course it's a big deal. He's never got to go in before. It's of course it's a big deal. I want to call your attention to something else, though, that's going on here. If you remember when we first started Acts chapter 2 a couple of months ago, and Peter began to get up and preach there on that day of Pentecost, people were wondering, what is this mighty rushing wind sound? What is the fact with all these guys speaking different languages? What is going on here? Are these guys drunk? Is there some weird thing happening? And Peter quotes the book of Joel and says, No, here's what's happening. All these prophecies that God spoke about so many hundreds of years ago, they're coming true now. The work of God that you've been waiting for, that will include the people of God speaking His word, has happened. The final age has begun. Now, if we were to go to Isaiah chapter 35, I want to... uh, read a portion of this for you what happens this guy the phrasing is identical to what takes place in Isaiah chapter 35 in fact I think there's very little doubt that what takes place in Acts 3 is a reference to something that God says in Isaiah 35 in Isaiah 35 this is a a prophecy regarding what God will do and his people in the final ages in in the final age the same age that began in Joel that Peter's already said is happening Okay, In Isaiah chapter 35, says this, verse 5, The eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the, of the mute will shout for joy, for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Erebus, the desert. In other words, one of the signs of the final days of God, His outpouring on His people will be that, they, that the lame will leap for joy. So guess what happens with the lame guy? At the beginning and the inauguration of these last days, he begins to leap for joy as he enters into the temple of God. What's happening here is that you have another sign that God has inaugurated the last days of his working. People today, we're, we've seen this a lot. 2020 has evoked this, and it has hasn't it? Are we in the last days? People are asking that question. <clears throat> Whether it's diseases, fires, hurricanes, earthquakes. It seems like the list of things that have, have happened to 2020 is endless, and we still got three months to go. And people are asking the question, Are we in the last days? And the answer is yes, we've been in the last days for 2,000 years, at least according to Scripture. Now, you go, okay, Brett, okay, yeah, come on. Are we in the last days of the last days? <laughs> well, maybe. I don't know. God hasn't given me any specific revelation there. By the way, speaking of that, we will be in November. Well, we're going to do this. In November, on Wednesday nights, once we finish with the book of Judges, and we're in Judges chapter 15 this week, or 15, 16 this week, once we finish with Judges, we are going to begin looking at, in detail, verse by verse, the book of the Revelation on Wednesday night. So I want to invite you to that. That's something coming up probably will start in November. Um, Just want to give a little plug for that, let you know it's on the way. Um, Now, I I bring in Isaiah 35 here, but Isaiah 35 immediately precedes, or obviously is pretty close to, another fairly famous passage in Isaiah. And it's where God, uh, resurrected, takes Isaiah out to the, uh, the, uh, the dead bones. I'm sorry, it's not Isaiah, but it's related to where God takes his prophet Ezekiel out to uh, the, dry, the valley of the dry bones. And in that valley of dry bones, he tells Ezekiel, can these dry bones be resurrected? He goes, "I don't know. God only you know." And God has this valley, it has this picture <clears throat> in Ezekiel 37 of the valley of dry bones. Ezekiel 36, by the way, this is where I got my numbers confused. We were in Isaiah 35. Ezekiel 36 is also related to this in Ezekiel 37. Sometimes I get confused with my numbers. These are all related to what's going on in Acts chapter three. And in Ezekiel 37, can these bones be restored? And he goes, I I don't know. And then God says, call them out. By the way, we plug something else. We're going to be talking about Ezekiel 37 tonight. Tonight we have core groups, our second week of core groups. If you missed core groups last Sunday night, don't fret. You can come tonight. Yeah, you might have missed the first one, but you can come in and jump in tonight. You'll be okay. We have four different Bible studies this evening going on with core groups. One on the Holy Spirit, which is going to be related to this passage in Ezekiel 36 and 37. One dealing with the the, the scriptures behind the songs that we sing, that Brady is teaching. One on the Sermon on the Mount that Alan is teaching. And one called The Measure of a Man. It's Talking about godly maturity that Bob Shockley is teaching. All those are tonight, 6 o'clock. Be here. All these things in the Old Testament are happening and coming out in Acts chapter 3. The New Testament, by the way, cannot be separated from the Old Testament. It builds on everything going on in the Old Testament. Acts is assuming that everything God said was happening in the Old Testament is now coming to fruition today. That's what Acts is saying. So we have this idea that there is resurrection, that there is lame people being healed, and that the result is they leap. And that's one of the signs that God is working in the last days. It's a passage that refers to God's provision, that God's bringing in the Gentiles. That's you and I. So, by the way, see this? This guy has been relegated to the court of the Gentiles. He may be Jewish. We we assume he is. We don't really know for sure, but he's probably Jewish. But he can't go in because he's lame. So he's relegated to the court of the Gentiles. And now that he's healed, guess where he gets to go? In. In. And he's leaping for joy because he gets to go into the presence of the worship of God. And guess what that looks like for us? You and I, we get to be him. You and I, we're the Gentiles. We don't get let in unless we're invited. And guess what? We have been. And he's glad. Imagine hearing a party going on somewhere. Imagine you see a lavish, big time party. You can hear the music playing. You can smell the food. You see all the cars parked out there. You're kind of thinking to yourself, well, that'd be nice. No one asked me. And then someone does. And you get to go in to this lavish party. This is one of the pictures that God gives us. There was his people, the Jews, that God had a unique relationship with, that he was working with. But he said, there will be a day when I will bring in all the nations, and they get to come in too. And guess what? That's us. And just like the lame guy, we now get to go from out here to in here. And it's worth celebrating. It might even be worth the occasional jump. It might even be be worth the occasional leap. It might even be worth the occasional, amen. It might be worth the occasional shout. It might be worth the occasional song, or even, don't push it, the occasional smile. Now, I'm being a little sarcastic, but you get the idea. The worship of God by God's people who have been invited into His presence, who have been healed, is to leap, to sing, to praise, to worship, to be joyful, to be glad. And that should be part of our routine, to be glad, because we're in. We get to be in his presence. We get to to be part. And the the real miracle here is not just the fact that a lame guy walks. It is that we are invited into the presence of God. We saw there in chapter 2, the very end, part of their normal routine, part of their reputation as a people were to be glad. Now, I'm not talking about a, a sugary, fake pretend gladness that ignores that life could sometimes be difficult or hard, but a gladness that overcomes it, life that is. A gladness that sees the resurrection, Christ's work, the historical plan and working of God in history as a real thing worth celebrating. A gladness that results from seeing the events around us from heaven's perspective. Isaiah 35 is a picture of of that final age designed to give all people's the people of God in particular the hope that God hasn't abandoned them in the desert but instead will make the desert spring to life. If we were to read we would see this description of a desert that's got water and plants growing and trees growing in other words it's transformed into a place not as void of life to a place that is full of life. And that we as Gentiles get to come in. We as the people who were on the, formerly on the outside get to come in on the inside. I mentioned hospitality before. One, one of the reasons I mentioned this idea of hospitality, that is inviting someone into your home, for example. Inviting someone to come out of your backyard and y'all have a barbecue. Just sharing what you have with someone else. That's hospitality. One of the reasons I, I mentioned that is this. When Christians are hospitable, When we share what we have with others, come on, have a meal with us. Come on in. Let's eat together. Come on, let's go hang out together. Let's do this or do that together. That is a preview. It's a glimpse of what you and I have been invited to take part in with Christ. God has looked at us and through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross said, you guys get to come into my house. All right? You see that? Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now When I come back, we're going to go in there together. And when you and I invite someone over to our house or do something with them or share what we have with them, what we're doing is the same thing. We're doing for them, in a sense, what God is doing for us. Christians should be the most hospitable of people because we have been shared with. That's bad grammar, I know. There is hope in Isaiah 35. There is hope in even Acts 3. Now, salvation has not been fully realized by us. We haven't actually gotten to heaven yet. But it's on the way. Isaiah 35 is talking about he's on the way. I don't know how close he is, but I know he's on the way. We all know what it is to know we're going to, or maybe you know what it's like to drive a few hours to go visit someone, maybe drive cross-country to go see someone. Maybe you've got a 10-hour drive. We spent... Especially the last uh, eight and a half years that we were in Atlanta, we were, had a 15, 16-hour drive to Angela's parents and about a 13-hour drive to my parents. You know, hour 10 or 11. Y'all there yet? Well, we're, we're on our way. We're getting close. Now, it, ironically for us, we are driving from Atlanta to northwest Arkansas, where my parents are at. One of the landmarks was the tower out there. <laughs> We very rarely stopped at Russellville, but hey, we're in Russellville. We're about two hours away now because we saw the towers. We know where we're at. He's on his way, and when he shows up, what appears to be dead will be, be alive. What appears to be hopeless will now be renewed. That's all, that's all, that's all cool That's that's fine. What does that mean? We're looking for what the world calls spectacular stuff. We're looking for the lame man to be walking. From time to time, God does do stuff like that for us. But most of the time, what God does is this you eat meals together, you go into church together, you're praying, you're doing your routine. You're doing your normal stuff. And in the middle of all that, by doing that, by having someone over for a meal, by taking someone a meal who is sick, by going for a walk with someone, by meeting someone for coffee. It might be that in those normal routine things that God brings one into the kingdom, like he did this layman. It might be that a cup of coffee results in leaping. It might mean, as Peter and John did here, this guy, it says they brought him with them. They invited him into the temple. It might be that simply taking a friend of yours and saying, hey, don't meet me at church, but would you come with me? I'll come pick you up. I will, you come with me, and then afterwards we'll go get something to eat. It might mean that something as routine as that, that there will be some leaping involved, Because someone gets saved. Peter and John said, we don't have any money, but here's what we do have. We will share what we have been given. Well, I don't, I I, I, I can't help anybody. Okay, maybe, maybe not. You don't know, but what do you have? What do you have this morning? What do we have as First Baptist Church? Sometimes we're so worried about what we don't have, we miss what we do have. What do we have? Well, right now, I see quite a few folks in here who all have a place to live, who have a place to sleep, and who have food to eat. Well, I see a bunch of people here who have the ability to, maybe we're not supposed to hug right now, but we can bump elbows, we can nod, we can smile, we can share a meal together, we can go get a cup of coffee together, we can love one another, we can greet one another in and out, we might even, well, some of us all, some of us can't jump anymore. Some of us can jump on the way in and out, We can be glad. We can invite. We can do all these things because guess what? God's given them to us. If nothing else, if God has forgiven you of your sins, you have forgiveness to give. If God has given you grace to be saved, you have grace to give. If God has loved you, you have love to give. If you have compassion given to you and mercy given to you, you have compassion and mercy to give to others. And these are all routine, normal things that God will do miraculous things with. Oh, that we would be a people whose reputation was, oh, they hang out together, they love one another, they eat together, they worship together, they pray together, and they invite us to come with them. They love one another, and they love me. Even though, maybe I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect to be loved by people like that, but they, man, they surprised me. They loved me. They shared with me. They didn't have a lot, but what they did have, they gave. And the result is I leaped for joy because God brought me in. We have the gospel. We have hospitality. We have kindness, gentleness, forgiveness, love, compassion. And most we have the Holy Spirit. For if you have been saved this morning, if the gospel has been received and you have placed your faith in Christ, you have the same Holy Spirit who was there in your life this morning. morning. Don't be stingy with him, but share.